Okay, thank you for that, Bob. <clears throat> Before we look at God's Word in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16, I'd like to share a couple of items for prayer. Yesterday was uh, an emotional day for me. Yesterday I um, was able to officiate at a funeral for a mate of mine from the men's shed and he gave me permission to share with everybody who was there a uh, part of his story over the last week. <clears throat> so I'd just like to share that with you. Alan Ryan, if you would remember Lorraine and her family uh, as they go through time of grief and missing him. But he, he allowed me to share this at his funeral and I think it was... Uh, a significant moment for many people there. A couple of months back, Alan invited me over for a philosophical conversation at his house. And I thought, what's that? So I went around and he told me for quite a while some of the concerns he had about the big questions in life. Things like, why does a loving God allow evil and suffering in this world? How can um, the church, the Christian church, how can they really be the face of Jesus in this world? when so many bad things have happened? How can you trust the Bible as being reliable? How can you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Aren't they great questions? They're excellent questions. I love it when people think about those things and, 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 and ponder on them and work through them. So we talked about that. For, I listened to him for an hour and then said, uh, for the next quarter of an hour, you're not going to like the things that I'm going to tell you because I think really different to what you think about those things. Anyhow, he listened and he was really appreciative of the discussion we had. I left with him a book but written by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. Is anybody familiar with that book? Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. I think it's got 10 or 11 chapters in it and answers those big questions, big life questions. And, and he couldn't put it down that afternoon, he told me later on, and was amazed at some of the things that he decided on that day. In the last week of his life, I went and visited him on the Monday. He passed away Friday afternoon. And in, in our chatting, he said, you know, I read, as I read that book, uh, I was reminded of my wife and I, we, we travelled through Israel and saw lots of places that were mentioned. And I came to the conclusion, just like the writer of that book did, that if Jesus wasn't a liar or a crazy person, lunatic, then he must really be Lord of all. And that's what I believe. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. We chatted about a few other things and, uh, and he'd asked me a long time ago to, to be the one who officiated his funeral, which I was happy to do for him. Thursday came and things weren't looking good. Uh, his health had taken a downturn. He was in hospital. And as we chatted there, uh, I shared some of my favourite verses with him. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Judas asked the question, Lord, how will we go there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then also uh, Revelation 21, where uh, John writes down a record of what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, and, and there's going to be no more, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more illness. And... Uh, I said to him, that's what I'm looking forward to. And he said, so am I. And he shared with me, he said, you know, John, I've done a lot of things in my life that I've not, not been proud of over the years. And I'm amazed that God chooses to forgive me. So I said to him, join the club. I think most of us in that position. And I guess the thing that cut me to the heart most of all 
uh, was uh, something he said to me before I left. And, and one of the things that came to me, I think, was probably God's inspiration. He'd been a military person and a police person. I said to him, Alan, you remember at the end of a parade, when when it's finished, the, the staff sergeant or whoever's in control of the parade will call everybody to attention. And then he'll yell out, dismiss. And you turn to the right, you pause, and then you walk off. I said to him, I'll let you know that you're dismissed today. You can go any time you want to to be with God. And his wife was there and she said, I've told him he can go any time he likes in the last few weeks. And um, as I was leaving, he shook my hands and he said, he said, see you on the other side. And for me, there was just a sense of, he will see, I will see him again. Uh, I suspect that uh, he is looking on the face of Jesus right now. So be praying for his family because I shared that at the funeral. And um, a number of people came to me and said, uh, thank you very much. Uh, it would have been just what Alan would have said. And a number of people asked me for the name of that book that I'd given Alan as well, uh, Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. So let's pray for the Ryan family. And let's pray for um, Fred and Dale Whiting this morning. Fred has some uh, medical tests to go to in Kansas this week, but they both have the flu right now. And so they've asked us to pray for them, that they would be well enough to go to these tests. And then let's remember John and Rosemary Astor. For some people that don't know John and Rosemary, John's had heart issues for many years. Um, and in the last 10 years, as well as a pacemaker, has had a defibrillator, which when his heart stops, the defibrillator kicks in and starts his heart again. Um, the doctors have told him last week when he was in hospital, the week before, that his heart was broken and the defibrillator wouldn't work anymore. So he chose to uh, turn his defibrillator off last Saturday which means the next time he has a heart attack, he won't be resuscitated. So he's at home with Rosemary right now, and let's pray for them, that they'll just know God's presence and peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in times of difficulty we can come to you. You know exactly what's going on for us, Lord. You have a plan for our lives. And so, Lord, during these times, we pray uh, that you'll give us the right words to say, the right attitudes to have, to care for those that are struggling. Lord, I pray for the Ryan family. Thank you. Thank you that uh, they heard uh, Alan's words. Thank you, Lord, that that could be a seed planted in people's hearts and minds and you can nurture that seed and bring it to fruition. We, we pray that they'll be seeking out you in their time of grief and sadness as they miss husband and father and grandfather. Father, we do pray for Fred and Dell, and thank you for them that they have uh, walked uh, a walk of faith with you for many years. We pray, Lord, that you'll work in their bodies to uh, overcome this flu so that Fred might be able to go to the appointments and the tests in Cairns. We commit them to you today and in the days ahead this week. Lord, we do thank you for John and Rosemary Astor as well. Thank you that they have loved you and walked with you for many years. Love, loved you, Lord Jesus, love your word. And we pray, Father, that your peace will be in that household in these days, knowing that ultimately... We will all face, uh, we'll all look upon the face of Jesus. Some will do it before others. So we commit them to you this day in Jesus' name. And we pray as we open your word in Ephesians, Lord, that you'll continue to amaze us at the plan that you have for our lives and how we might live 
for you and serve others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me share that today. There we go. So we've been uh, looking at that theme of being alive in Christ through Ephesians as we focus on the one in 2021. Uh, tech guys, we'll have to adjust the screen somehow, won't we? Strange. All right. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16, and looking at particularly growing up as a church. What's it mean for our church to grow up? And this is what Paul writes. Remember last week we looked at verses 1 to 6, and it was, again, focusing on that one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all, uh, uh, that we might be that, that unity, that oneness in Christ. And so he keeps, he keeps on writing in his letter. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare... Sorry, back there. Yep. To prepare... God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's probably a familiar passage for you. Hopefully as we work through it today, we will be able to understand it even more and see what God's saying to our hearts and minds. I want you to imagine going to a doctor to visit the doctor, we, uh, we do that from time to time, don't we? And the doctor, after a lot of tests, she says to you, look, for your health, you need to stop doing all the things that you're doing. It's serious. Your volunteer work in the community, you have to stop that. Your coaching junior soccer, you have to stop that. Being on the PNC at the school, you have to stop that. Teaching kids' church or Sunday school at church, you've got to stop that. You're on several committees of non-profit organisations, you have to stop that. You need to start focusing on yourself. Your health is getting worse, and if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to die. I would not like to hear my doctor say that to me. It would be difficult for me to choose to stop doing those things for my health. But sometimes we have to pull back a little bit, don't we? We have to slow down a little bit. But to stop everything would be so hard. Looking at Paul's letter as he's writing to the churches today, he's telling them that they need to focus on themselves. The doctor was telling that patient that he needed to focus on himself so that his health might be better. 
Paul's saying, as he writes this letter, that the church at Ephesus needs to focus on themselves. In effect, he's saying you need to grow up. You need to see that you become mature in your walk of faith. And, you know, that's hard for us to focus inwardly. Often we're concerned for those that don't have the gospel, so we're focusing outwardly. And uh, that's a that's a... A factor of our church, we want to see people come to know Jesus, so we're focusing outwardly. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we look to help the poor and those that are uh, burdened by uh, the justice system. We look to comfort those that are suffering and caring for those that are in need. And sometimes we forget that one of the priorities for believers is to make sure that we are going okay as God's church, as Christ's body. So today, the main thrust of this message is that we need to grow up into maturity. How do we do that? How do we grow into maturity as the body of Christ? Gifts, special God-given abilities to the body, his church. And God's grace is unique to every believer. Every believer, his grace is given uniquely. What's that mean? mean? As you read that passage, we saw the word but at the beginning of verse 7. He's saying that we need to contrast all that he said before. Prior to that, he was talking about unity. Now he's saying we need to focus on ourselves, not only the oneness of Christ, but we need to make sure that it's not uniformity. We need to make sure that we're not making everybody look like Bob with his tropical shirt on or like Pastor John with his beard, you know. Um, it's, it's unity, it's not uniformity, but it's also diversity, which is amazing, that we are diverse in our makeup because grace is given uniquely to every believer. That doesn't mean that every believer has the same gift, the same grace that God's given. It's a diverse diversity in our church. And Christ is the one that gives each believer their gift of grace as he sees fit. Wonderful, enabling grace, that enabling gift that allows us to serve God, to serve one another as his church, to serve the community, and it's given to us uniquely. So each of us are unique as we follow Jesus. Do you know what this says to me? It says that we're not an accident to be in the body of Christ. We didn't become a part of God's body by accident. He had a plan for us to be a part of God's body. And in that plan, he's given each of us that ability to serve. He said it also in the letter to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 6. He said, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God has given us abilities or gifts for the benefit of the whole body, but they are uniquely given. Jesus is the one that is the bearer of these gifts. If you remember in verse uh, um, 8, I think it is. That's verse 7. Verse 8, it says, This is why, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts gifts to men. I struggle with these verses, because it talks about, then it talks in verse 9 about he descended to the depths. And as I was reading through some of the commentators and that sort of thing, I was saying, Jesus is the Son of God, and in giving gifts and and becoming the Saviour, he is risen to the heights, if you like. He's seated at the right hand of God, and we're given gifts out of that. 
But to enable that to happen, he had to come to the earth, which is talking about descending to the depths, to become like us, so that in turn he might ascend to the heights. And I like that. I like that one. He left the, uh, the wonder of heaven as Philippians 2, Paul writes in Philippians 2, to become like us, giving up that glory, to ultimately go back to be the God of the whole universe. And I wonder if we realise that it's this Jesus who gives gifts to us, gives us service, gifts of grace. He gives gifts to the leaders of the body of Christ. And in verses 11 and 12 it says this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. And... He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. There we are. We are up to it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. Have you ever noticed how people are wired differently? Is that the best way of saying it? You know, people are, have different skills and abilities naturally, and then God does the same thing for us spiritually. I've often been amazed at some of the studies that have been done over the time. I think I've got it up here. Okay, there's two pictures. Now, I don't know what sort of picture colourer you are. Are you a colourer in between the lines? Or are you someone that would take this other statement? You have to colour outside the lines once in a while if you want to make your life a masterpiece. And some of the studies say that when children colour between the lines, they're more likely to have an engineering, uh, strategic type uh, framework to their thinking. But those that colour wherever they want to colour it are the creative ones. And the good news is the world needs both. Is that right? We need the strategic, in-between-the-lines thinkers, and we also need the uh, the free thinkers, the creative ones, uh, the... Um, the both are, both are necessary. And I think it's the same in the church. Um, we are different. God's created us uniquely, but he's given some people the skills to work within the lines, if you like, some people the skills spiritually to be creative. And to guide that, he's given the leadership gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What does that mean? What does it mean? I think apostles... Apostles are people sent with a commission to go and tell to a divinely appointed representative of God. And how do we how do we factor that in today? Some people there's no, say there's no more apostles. Hmm, I believe there's a gift of apostleship. And for me, as I've looked over the years, one is I don't have it. I know that for sure. But I do know people that are out there uh, going into new towns, new cities, starting new churches. Gee, that sounds like some of the apostles out of the Bible, doesn't it? Taking the message of Christ, not so much as evangelists, but certainly as people go in to start a church somewhere. So I would call church planters apostles these days. That's my that's my theory anyhow. He gives some to be prophets. Prophets are proclaimers of the word of God. Not that most pastors would t- take the title of prophet on, but some... Some uh, pastors would see themselves as those that, that are beyond more than just teaching the word of God, but declaring, proclaiming, 
uh, enforcing, if you like, the word of God. Certainly Moses would be familiar with evangelists. Evangelists are bearers of the good news. In Jesus' day, in Paul's day, they would travel from town to town, uh, sharing the gospel with people, with anybody who would listen. Uh, some of us grew up in an era where we'd have uh, uh, evangelistic crusades where you had guest evangelists in the church or you set up a big tent in the park somewhere and uh, would invite friends and uh, unsafe people to come to those meetings to hear the gospel. Some of us even remember Billy Graham crusades uh, in Brisbane and, and online uh, over the years. Gifted evangelists, and someone once said to me, a, a trusted fr- a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine said, John, you're an evangelist. And I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I said, I love sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen, but the distinction that I seen, see between evangelists and me is e- evangelists are people who share the gospel and expect somebody to respond right then and there. Uh, I don't always expect that. I share the gospel and, and trust that somehow God will work in that person's life. But if that person doesn't respond then and there, I don't get discouraged about it. I keep on praying. Evangelists that I know, they'd be, they'd be really despondent if nobody responded when they shared the gospel. But certainly we're probably more familiar with pastors and teachers. Uh, one role, two ministry, ministries. Some people have said pastors and teachers are two separate gifts. Uh, they probably are, but the way Paul writes it here is they're, they're one and together in the same person. The pastor having the shepherd responsibility as well as the responsibility of teaching the story of Jesus and, and, the, and the scriptures to those who will listen. So, so these gifts, these graces are given for the benefit of the body of the church in the leadership field. I think these days it's getting harder to recognise those gifts because some people are, are self-proclaimed apostles. And I'm not sure that's how it works. I believe the apostles were recognised, one by God, and then through the things that they did in service for God. And it was usually a humble servant attitude, not a anti-great attitude as an apostle. What were they for? They were for, for, for preparing God's people to be ministers. Did you know that you're all ministers? I think it was Rick Warren in his uh, uh, Purpose Driven Church wrote that uh, the people in the congregation are ministers, the leaders of the church are the administers. They're the ones that enable the ministers to do their job. I like it. And I believe that's what God's plan for us is. It's an interesting word, this preparation, this preparing something. The background to the word means fixing something that's broken. I wouldn't normally have associated that with the word prepare, uh, but certainly biblically it's fixing something that was broken. In Matthew's gospel, it's when they were repairing or preparing the nets that were torn. They were preparing them for service as usable nets. I get it. Or, or when they were supplying something that was lacking. And I think that's probably what we, we tend to identify with. We, uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, we desire to supply or equip what is lacking in your faith, preparing you. Preparing for works, works of service. I think it's remarkable that, that, that God's vision of the body of Christ is that it needs so much work done on it that we've never made it. We're on the journey to making it as being his body. But along the way, we need to grow up. 
we need to do get work done on on the body of Christ. How does it start? It starts with people become believers, followers of Jesus, and receiving God's grace, His gifts, according to the measure that Christ gives them out. What's the next step? The next step is then, as each of us as saints or as followers of Jesus are prepared to allow the leaders of the church to equip them for ministry, then they are to go out and minister, whether it be within the church body or beyond the church body. So what are we supposed to be doing here at Atherton Baptist in regards to this passage? I believe that as a church, and I'm not talking about the four walls, I'm talking about the people, I believe that as a church, we need to not only study what we've been studying in this past term in Ephesians, but we need to be looking at ways of building up the body of Christ. What can I do with the skills, the gifts and abilities that God has given me to encourage others in the body of Christ? That should be a question that each of us is asking. Could I suggest that every believer, every follower of Jesus in this place, look for at least one ministry, one avenue of service, one ability or way of helping that you might be able to use in the life of the church. How healthy would that make our church if we were all doing one thing that God asked us to do? Remember that we are unique and that uniqueness has been measured out, been given out by Christ for the benefit of his body, his church in this place. If one person isn't doing what God planned for them to uniquely be doing, then the church is lacking. Does that make sense? If we don't know what God wants us to do, then the church is lacking. We need to find out what God wants us to do. No one can say, I've arrived. I'm gifted and graced by God. I've arrived. I'm happy with where I'm at. I don't need any help or teaching from the church. I don't need to help or teach anyone else. That's not the attitude that this passage talks about. We need each other in a vital way for the church to be growing up as it should be. Another reason to grow up is that the purpose of these gifts is for building the body as a whole. The building is complete when we become mature Christians. When's that going to happen? When we all see Jesus face to face. So we're on a journey together. It'll be a constant attitude of building one another up. Then when we see Jesus, the church will be complete. We'll be like him. We'll be maturing Christ, verse 14 says. I don't think we'll be perfect until we see Jesus. I'm pretty sure about that. What it means is that for each person in the church, if you desire to grow up and be mature in your faith, then the pathway of doing that is through the church. In God's kingdom, there's no lone rangers. There's no one out there on their own, doing their own thing. That's not the way God designed it. God wants each of us to mature in the context of the church. The rubbing of shoulders with one another, the, uh, as Proverbs says, as, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what it means. Along with the challenges of doing God's kingdom work, all that adds to our growth and maturity. 
sitting at the feet of good teachers, uh, working alongside good evangelists, reaching the lost word around us, sending missionaries. All these things are good. These are ways, going as missionaries, that we can mature and the church can mature. One way of maturing as followers of Jesus is to stand on the truth. And certainly in verses, uh, I think that's 14 to 16, it says that when we stand on the truth, we're not going to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. The picture here is um, of a baby being put in a basket on the waves of a river or of an ocean and the wind tossing them around. Incredible picture. We are to stand on the truth so we won't be deceived by some of the words that are used around about us to convince us of doing things that might sound good, but really there's a subtle undercurrent. And I found one of those this week. Where are we? This one. It's a little bit cut off there, but this is a poster put up at a, an Australian university. And um, it looks great when you read it. You can't apologise for the smallness of the print. I was trying to get it large. And it was talking about diversity, and that's, that's one of the in-words these days in government circles, isn't it? Uh, equality, respect, diversity, inclusion inclusion, uh, some of the in-words, and they all sound great, and they are they are really good. But there's a subtle meaning behind it. Let me read the paragraph over on the your uh, right there. It says this. Reading up on how will you achieve this uh, inclusion and diversity, reading up on diversity object- objectives like gender equity, intercultural competence, and elimination of unconscious bias... I read some of the, the uh, documents they were referring to. And this unconscious bias could mean faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Because for us, we make a, a choice, but in their terminology, it's an unconscious bias. So the encouragement is that if you want to go to this university and participate in this particular part of the university, then you need to read some of these uh, this information they're promoting which should change your perspective on things. There are subtleties here that if people do the reading, they'll turn away from God's standards. We need to stand on the truth. And sometimes I believe it's getting harder to stand on the truth in many circles today. We will experience that fullness, we will experience that maturity when we learn to stand on the truth. I remember growing up... um, coming to my mum and dad and and rationalising my poor choice that I'd made by saying something, well, everyone else was doing it. And my parents would say, well, first of all, you're not everyone else. Make up your own mind. If everyone jumped off a bridge plummeting to their death, would you do it? Maybe you've had a similar conversation along the way. Even if Maybe you've heard it or you've given that same advice to your children. I believe we can hear God saying, I know you are growing up. I know you are maturing when you don't go along with the crowd. How does that work in reality? Some of the things that are very real for our world today, when we say no to sex before marriage. But in the world's perspective, everybody's doing it. Or when we say no to dishonesty or false promises or cheating when it seems everyone just accepts that these things are normal. 
when we stand by our promises and let our yes be yes and our no be no, we don't say one thing and do something else. It's becoming the norm not to trust what people say. I hope we're not like that. I pray we're not like that. Maturity is speaking the truth in love. This story here, or this picture is about a story. The lady on your left is Linda. Linda's divorce wasn't final yet. Her husband just didn't seem to care about her anymore. Her friend, however, her friend John, however, was attractive and listening to her. Although she wasn't yet divorced, what started as a friendship with John grew into a very intimate relationship. Christy, the other lady, a godly woman, was only an acquaintance of Linda's, but was very upset by this situation. Christy went to Linda in private and told her that her relationship with John was not right, it was sin. Their relationship would never be acceptable to God, it had to end. Now Christy spoke the truth, didn't she? Because it wouldn't have been acceptable. She had pure motives in going and talking to Linda. But she had no relationship. She was an acquaintance. She had no history. She had no mutual esteem for Linda. And with Linda, would that encourage her to accept this word from Christy? Needless to say, Linda didn't take Christy's interference very well. Even though she was standing on the truth, was it really truth expressed in love? Sadly not. And so for love and truth to be accepted, it needs to be that relationship within the body of Christ. Both are crucial, crucial, both that truth and love. I remember growing up in Brisbane, we're nearly at the end, folks, and I remember we had one of these. Anybody remember what those are? Yeah? It's a one-manpower mower. Not a horsepower, a manpower. And uh, I remember my dad had one when we were about five years old and uh, I used to watch him mowing and I thought, this is easy. And uh, so one day I thought I'd surprise my dad and mow the yard for him. Within the first uh, couple of feet I found out it wasn't so easy to push this thing in thick grass, but I worked out how to do it. You just rocked it back on these wheels here and you used to skim along really easy. Get the whole yard done in no time at all. Anyhow... Dad uh, had some words of wisdom to say. He said, someday, John, you'll grow up and then you'll be able to make those blades turn. I didn't realise the blades had to turn to cut the grass at five years old. I just thought you had to run over the grass with the wheels, you know. Had the right intentions. And he says, uh, when you get those blades turning, then you'll really help a lot. Often in the church, we concentrate on organising spiritual five-year-olds to push better lawn mowers and wonder why so little of God's grass gets cut. The church, we are called to grow up into Christ, who is the head. We are to be the maturing body. We are to recognise those people around about us with those leadership skills and gifts with, with those graces that God has given to serve one another, we need to let people serve us in the gifts that God has given to them. Not just expect lots of young new believers. We need to recognise 
those that God has equipped for service. We need to be able to minister to one another and to the world. Just before I finish, let me make sure that you don't understand that we're not navel-gazing here today. We're not saying in a selfish way we need to grow up. We're saying that together as we mature, we can respond quicker, better, uh, more fully to what God is calling us to be as a church. As we desire to communicate the gospel, desire to show the love of God to others, as we grow in our maturity, we can do it in an even better way. So Paul is saying, build each other up in love, each part ministering in the area of service or the work that God's called us to. I'd ask you to pray for Pastor Jeff and I. Pastor Jeff and I talk about this all the time. And we pray that he would give us um, wisdom, guidance and discernment to know how to encourage people to grow in their faith so they might serve God in even better ways here at Atherton Baptist. So please pray for us about that. Let me pray for you now as we conclude the message this morning. Father, I pray that that we won't be relying on our own strengths and abilities, that we will rely on the one, the things that you have encouraged us in, the uh, skills, the gifts, that special endowment of grace that you've given to us to serve. Not only serve one another in, in the context of the church, but, but, but to serve the community with the support of the church. Father, it might be a, dis- a journey of discovery for some of us who've never been encouraged to consider in what one way each one is important, unique in the life of the church. Help us to discover that. Help us to uh, commit to it and to see the results that you bring about in our lives, in the life of the church and in the community that we live in. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.